Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. back and, and just look, if you want to live victorious, and I do believe that's what God's called us to. He's called us to live in victory. He's, um, um, he's given us everything. In fact, let's go we'll take these out of order a little bit, but if you look at 2 Peter um, chapter 1, Peter um, starts in verse 1. He says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. First thing you have to understand, if you are going to live in victory, if you are going to live according to the word, you're going to have to make yourself a slave to Jesus. You cannot live your own life with your own will without making your will subservient to his will. I heard Alistair Begg, if, uh, if you don't know, Alistair Begg is a pastor, I believe, in Ohio. He's Scottish. Sometimes I just listen to him because I really don't care what he has to say. I just love listening to him talk with that Scottish brogue. But he said something uh, a few um, months ago, and I've kind of altered what his basic statement was. And basically my version of it is we're free to live however we choose. God's given us free will. We have that choice. But... You will either bring your life into line with God's word or you will subvert God's word to bring it into line with your lifestyle and your beliefs. It's just there is no other choice. You, there, there are only two roads. There's the broad way that leads to destruction. That's just doing what feels right, what feels good, you know, this fits me, and I don't care what the word says. I don't, you know, you just, that's just, um, um, that's just being a fake. And I've heard people say that when you talk to them about confessing the word. Forget about what your circumstances say. You confess what the word says about you. Well, I, that, I would feel fake if I did that. Well, it's not fake if it's what the word says. The Word has a higher priority in my life than what I believe. But if I don't do that, if I don't conform myself, Paul said it in, in Romans 12, we cannot be conformed to this world. We can't take on the outward appearances of things, but we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I need to put my mind in agreement with the Word. Otherwise, I will go and I will eventually make the Word say what I want it to say. And let's face it, there are a lot of churches out there that they, they just, they don't, you know, they, they have certain proof scriptures and they go with those and, and, and they just, you know, don't, um, it's like the old boy said, don't confuse me with the truth, I know what I believe. Well, I want to look at the word, even when it's hard, even when it challenges me, even when it says, you're wrong, you need to change. Let's face it, change is never easy, never easy. But in, in, in going back to 1 Peter, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith. We have the same faith that Peter has, exactly the same faith. <clears throat> Drop down to verse 2. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. I love Mounts' tra translation. says, in ever-increasing measure. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in ever-increasing measure to you in the knowledge of God. That's epinosis. It's a, it's a knowledge above just knowing natural things. It's a, it's a knowledge above just knowing <clears throat> what the Word says letter for letter. You know, I, I've used the example, of, <clears throat> I had a pastor years ago, um, got his Master of Divinity at, at um, well, I won't name the school, um, but he, by his estimation, fully half of his professors that had PhDs in theology weren't saved, 
didn't believe in salvation, didn't believe in transformation. They just believed that those were myths and we just, you know, we, could, we needed to live the best we could. And, and the Bible's a good moral code if you select the right moral codes out of the Bible to live by. And basically, they took their beliefs and made the Bible conform to it. They used the Bible more like we, you know, if you decide to go to MCL for lunch today, you go to that cafeteria, you pick out what you want. You know, most of the food there you're going to leave behind. You're just going to pick the dishes that you like. Well, a lot of people approach the Bible that way. We can't do that. But if we have this, this above knowledge, we look at this, at this book, we look at the words in this Bible, and we make them personal to me. When, when I read this, it's not just words on a page. It's words not just personally to me, but it's words that I have to conform my life to. I have, you know, we're, we're famous for, and I preach grace as hard as anybody I've ever met. I, I, I on purpose, preach grace hard. I, I believe that's the root of salvation. It's the root of victorious living is, is grace. God did it, handed it to me, and it's mine. In that sense, grace is free. He just gives it to us. There's nothing I, ha I can do to earn it, deserve it. It's not about me. And, but you can, you can take that and sort of pervert that a little bit to get into what I call sloppy agape or loose grace, which means I don't have any responsibilities. God's going to love me no matter what I do, so I don't need to do anything. No, grace demands, doesn't request, it demands a response. That's why in Philippians when it says, every knee shall bow, the people who are forced to bow before the white throne judgment are not going to be released because God's grace demands that they respond to it. And if you reject it, it's your problem, not his. I mean, he came, he lived, he died, he, he was buried, he, he, his body was broken, his blood was shed, he, resurrected, he came out of the grave, he destroyed death and hell. He took total dominion of, of, of Satan and, and um, hell, led Satan captive, and then sat down on the throne and set you down on the throne with him if you choose to go with him. And if you say, no, I don't want to, it's not his fault. But that grace demands a response. This knowledge demands a response. But notice in verse 3, it says, as his divine power has, past tense, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. God not only did everything he did, but he has turned around and handed to us promises exceedingly great and precious promises that through those, through a knowledge of this word, we can be, may be partakers of the divine nature. Not only are we partakers of the divine nature, but we can escape the corruption that's in the world system. It's not enough to get born again. You need to be transformed once you get born again. The, the, the uh, new birth is the starting of a process that you complete until you step off into the next world. It's not an end to itself. It's the beginning of a journey. And for a lot of people, salvation has come down to fire insurance. I got saved. Now I live however I want. And hopefully God will work things out when, when times get rough. But, you know, you just, you never know what God will do. Yes, you do. He's written it down. He's given you an instruction book. He's told you exactly what he's going to do and exactly what he wants you to do. But it takes some effort to get in that. But once we know what is ours, we have to activate that. We looked at Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Whoever will say to this mountain, will have whatsoever he saith. Part of the response to his grace is we have to take God's word and we have to speak it into our lives. 
It's, it's not just enough that we, we believe it. We also have to proclaim it. We saw that in, in Romans chapter 10. Let's go over there really quick. Romans chapter 10, very familiar verse. And this is after Paul has spoken um, in Romans chapter 4. Obviously, Romans 4 comes before Romans 10. But in Romans 4, he's discussing um, the call of Abraham. And in um, verse... Back up to, to Romans 4 real quick. Hold your place in 10. We'll be right back there. In verse 17, he makes this statement. He said, and this is in the, in the middle of, um, uh, towards the end of, of verse 17. He's speaking of God. He said, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And he's using uh, um, Abraham as an example of someone who took God's principle here that God gives life to the dead. How does he do that? He speaks to it. He speaks to it. He declares his will. He declares his word to the dead. And he calls those things that don't exist as, they, as if they did. And in verse 19, it's speaking of Abraham. says, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already did dead. The, the, the message translation of that says, Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say. It's not just enough to believe. You have to believe and say. Most of the time, the reason we have problems and the reason we can't get out from under our problems is we believe what we see in the natural. We believe our circumstances and all we do is talk about our circumstances, and we reinforce the bad things that are going on and declare this is how it is and this is what, what we have, and so you keep having it. Instead of declaring what God's Word says about the situation. And I'll give you a perfect example, and, and, and Sandy mentioned it a minute ago. The political world right now, and I'll be honest with you, as, a, as believers, we have a choice. Do we gripe and complain about the idiocy that we see on the debate stages and all the political speeches, or, we did, or do we declare God's word over our nation? I'm tired, and believe me, I have, I, I've just turned the news off because I'm, I'm really afraid I'm going to chuck one of my shoes through the TV some night because it just angers me. So, but, and, and it angers me on both sides. And believe me, there's, there's enough idiocy in our political realm to go around right now. It's left and right. It's not, it's not one or the other. It's all included. But I can either gripe about that and call them idiots because that's a fact. They are. I don't care what their IQ is. Just listen to them. They're not being very smart. Or I can declare that Jesus is Lord over the United States of America and that we're going to have revival and revival is breaking out now and that churches are rising up and preaching the gospel. And if I don't care what the president does, Ezra said that God turned the heart of the king of Assyria towards the nation of Israel to bless them and he hated them. That king was not pro-Israel, he was anti-Israel. And yet God said, no, that's not how it's going to work. I'm turning your heart to bless these people. Our government functions the way it does because we give them the power by what we say as Christians. We have dominion as Christians in this nation. But we're not taking dominion. We're not declaring what we're going to have spiritually so the powers of darkness just control everything. Thank you for that hearty amen. But, but what did Abraham do? This is back to the message. He didn't focus on his own impotence and say, but if you drop down into verse 20, it says he plunged into the promise. He got so caught up in what God had promised him that what, what naturally was around him just disappeared. And he had what he said. He had, he, it, it came to, to that that. Sarah became pregnant, and the promised heir was born. Amen? Because of how he approached it. Now, in Romans um, 
10, go over there, it says that in verse 13, no, sorry, I wonder it didn't read right, I'm in chapter 9, let me get over there. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice, if, if you go down to um, verse 10, or verse 15, excuse me, how shall they preach unless they are sent? Uh, well, verse 14, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? You reverse that, you get the actual order of things that are, are um, um, how they go. God calls people, they are sent out, they preach, people hear what they preach, they have to believe what is preached, but then they have to call on the Lord. What you believe that you don't call is impotent. It dies. It doesn't have, it doesn't, it doesn't, it may conceive, but it doesn't come to life. It's not just enough to believe the gospel. You have to talk the gospel constantly. You have to declare the gospel. I look at it, and, and I've heard this said before. I didn't come up with this. But it's living your life prophetically. You have to live your life as if you are a prophet of God because you have a prophet of God living on the inside of you. There, were, there, there are fivefold ministry gifts in the world today in the church. But in the Old Testament, there are only three. There was the prophet, the priest, and the king. And Jesus stood in all three of those offices, and he is in you. That's why in the Gospels it says that the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. How can he show you things to come? Because you have a prophet living on the inside of you. His name is Jesus. And you have to live and, and, and consume the word to the point where the word becomes so big in you and becomes so important and such a, you get such a revelation of the word that even when, when circumstances run totally against what God says you should have and what things should be like, that you can stand up and take the prophetic word of God and say, no, my circumstances are going to be this. My body says I'm sick, but Jesus declared I'm well. My checkbook says I'm poor, but Jesus said I am rich. The world says that, that I can't succeed, but Jesus said I'll be the head and not the tail. And when the word becomes bigger than your life and your circumstances and you speak to it enough, those words will take root, grow up to be a, a, a large tree and bear fruit. Now, Brother Hagin used to say this all the time. You know, God does pay off. He doesn't pay off every Saturday night. Sometimes it takes a while. You have to speak things, especially if you've been speaking the wrong thing for 20 years. You can't start, change and expect everything to change overnight. It may take a while. There is a work to do. But it's not, it, it's not your job to... to, to um, do the work other than to speak God's word and then trust that God is at work in that. Remember, from the time that God promised Abraham he would bring an heir to when the heir came in was not nine months. It was years. Years. In fact, I, if I'm, I, I didn't study this one back out, I didn't check it out, but I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it was more like 20 years from when the promise was till Abraham actually saw it. Now, we have a couple of examples of this. Um, first, let's go back to, Josh, or, um, to uh, Numbers. This is talking about Joshua and Caleb. Numbers chapter 13. And let's start in verse 26. And this is the, the, the nation of Israel. They've been promised the... the, the um, to go across the Jordan River, and I have given, God has already told them through Moses, I have given you this land. It is yours. And now they're faced with the choice. Do we do it or not do it? 
Well, they sent 12 spies in. And the 12 spies came back. And then starting in, in verse 26, it says, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. God had said, this land flows with milk and honey. They got there and found the land to be exactly how God described it. So God was proven true. Nevertheless, never, I want to have a nevertheless in your speech. The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. God said this is a land of milk and honey. And here's proof we brought all this fruit back. It's exactly as God described it. But what God didn't tell you was, man, there's giants in the land. And they're strong. And it discouraged the people. And then Caleb stepped up, verse 30. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Now the question is, were they stronger than them or not stronger than them? And the answer is, it doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with the situation at all. The strength of the people in the promised land was never a consideration to God. God's consideration was, I said, you can take this land, therefore you need to believe me that you can take the land, and if you're not strong enough, I will put you over. Because I have the strength to make up where you are weak. That's why Paul says in the New Testament, let the weak say, I am strong. Well, if I'm weak, why should I say I am strong? Because I have God in me. And when I can't do it, he can, if I am doing what he's called me to do. And that is a huge if. But that's why we have to come back to the word. What has God spoken to you? What part of his word has he made alive to you? What has he called you to do? If he's called you to do something and said, this is what your task is in life, then get after it. And when it gets hard, say, well, I guess there's giants in this land. But God is well able. And you know what? There are always giants in the land. Always have been, always will be. It's, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And for the most part, pardon my English, ain't nobody doing it. Why? Well, just look at their example. You know, in, in typology, coming out of Egypt for the nation of Israel was the new birth. They went through the Dead Sea or went through the Red Sea. And then crossing the Jordan River going into the promised land is living in victory. About two to two and a half million people came out of Egypt. Two went into the promised land. Two. That's terrible, terrible statistic. Now, I don't care how many people make it into victory. I want to be one of them. If nobody else goes, I'm going to do my best to take God's word and I'm going. And I hope people will follow me, but I'm going despite whether anybody follows me or not. Why? Because I want it. God's bigger than my weakness. Thank God. When I was at my worst, when I was a sinner, completely sold out to sin, and there was a point in my life, believe me, I was completely sold out. Sin was a part of my life, and my philosophy was, if it feels good, do it. If it feels really good, do it twice. Jump in head over heels and go for the gusto. And I went. 
And I beat my head against that wall for several years until finally I figured out this doesn't really work. And then I came into the church and suddenly I saw my life change and I got enthusiastic about it. And I had all these Christians walking up to him saying, now brother, now brother, calm down. You know, this doesn't always work just the way you think it's going to work. You can't always walk, walk in victory. You can't always walk in this. And I'm thinking, why are they discouraging me? Why? Because they didn't see it working in their life, and they were afraid of me being successful because that would put pressure on them. If he can do it as nasty and bad as he was, why can't I do it? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want, and I don't, believe me, I don't put myself up as a paragon of virtue. I've still got lots of weaknesses. You hang around me very long, and I guarantee you I will offend you. It's just a flat, it's a promise. I'll do it. I'm quite capable of doing it. I get selfish just like everybody else. I get tired. My mouth gets away from me sometimes. And even when it doesn't get away from me on my best days, it's not great. But despite that, God still blesses me. Because I'm looking to his word and I'm saying, God, this is what I want. I want your best. And when I fall and I, I have to get back up and say, well, okay, when I was lost, you redeemed me. I'm not lost now. I just fell down. And I'm covered in muck and mire. Pull me out, Lord. Clean me up. Put me over. You're big enough to do it. See, I, I preach all the time, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Most people, when they read that scripture, they focus in on if I confess. I got to confess. I got to confess. I got to confess. I got to dig into my life and find out what's wrong with me. No, the emphasis on that scripture is he is faithful. It's not you. You're just acknowledging God. I'm a screw up. I can't do this. The Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. That's why we have to have him. That's why we have to have his word. That's why we have to have the spirit of God and the anointing of God or it doesn't work. None of it works without him. And if it wasn't impossible, then guess what? The strong would make it work on their own and then we'd have something to brag about. And God doesn't want us bringing about anything other than I am weak and he made me strong. I didn't know how to do it and God showed me how to do it. I didn't have the power to do it and God put me over. If God's given you a calling and, and, and a goal and you know how to get there and you think I can do this and this and this and meet that need, then your calling's not big enough and your vision's not big enough. God ought to give you visions that you see absolutely no way this can get accomplished. God, I, this is going to crush me because I can't handle it. And God said, well, you're starting to get a glimpse of what I want for you. Because you're right, you can't handle it. That's why I gave you my word and my spirit. Amen? Now, look at verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against them for the people. They are stronger than we. Notice they said it. It's not just that they believed it. They said it. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report or an evil report of the land which they had spied out, saying. Why was it an evil report? Because it went against what God had said. When God says X and you speak Y, it's an evil report. Just face it. If you and God have a disagreement, you're wrong. He's right. Quit arguing with him. Just get in agreement with him. Amen? But look down, drop down to um, uh, verse 33. <coughs> it says, There we saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, true, and so we were in their sight, false. You read on, on a little farther and you find the, the account of Rahab and when, when the spies, when they actually did go into the land and they met with Rahab, Rahab said, what has taken you people so long? The moment we heard how you came out of Egypt, fear fell upon us and we were grasshoppers in our own sight. 
The people of the land, the giants, the people, we can't handle them. We're terrified of the nation of Israel. And yet the nation of Israel looked at them and said, man, they're impressive. It's like David and Goliath. Goliath was big. He was mean. He was a professional soldier. David was a kid who had a sling and a rock. But a sling and a rock will beat a sword at 30 feet any time. And it wasn't so much that David was so good with, with the sling and the rock, but God put his anointing on the rock and slew the giant. But if you read that account, what did David say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine to be speaking against the nation of Israel the way he's doing? He took it back to the covenant that God had made. It's not, I'm not upset that this guy's big and strong and fearful or, or fearsome. I'm, I'm upset that he's making declarations against God's word and against God's anointing. And I'm not going to stand for it. And his brother said, sit down, shut up. You're making us look bad. And David said, I don't care. I care about doing what God said. And God said, hey, if you can kill the lion and the bear, you can kill that uncircumcised Philistine. Because he doesn't have me and you do. Amen? Now, we looked last time, Joshua and Caleb is a great example of what we need to do, but we also looked in Matthew 17, uh, it's in Mark 9 and Matthew 17, about the account where the, the, the man brought his son to Jesus' disciples and said, can you cast this demon out of him? He, he will drop, he'll foam at the mouth, he, it, the demon throws him in the fire, and the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. And Jesus showed up, and, and the, the kid started to have this fit again. And Jesus calmly, he ignored what was going on on the ground with the child, and he turned to the father. He said, how long has this been going on? He wasn't the least bit concerned about what he saw. But then he, he commanded the demon to leave, and it says that the demon tore him. It got worse. And Jesus didn't care because he wasn't ruled by what he saw. He was ruled by what he said. And then afterwards, the disciples came to him. And remember, this is after they had come back, after going out two by two. They had, they, he said, you know, the disciples' own testimony, we've seen uh, demons subject to us in your name. We've seen the dead rise. We've seen, seen the lame walk. We've seen healings. We've seen supernatural occurrences. But why couldn't we deal with this? And in Mark, Mark's account, Jesus talks about the demon. But then in Matthew chapter 17, if you look at verse 20, Jesus answered them and he said, The reason you guys couldn't do this is because of your unbelief. And I've said this before, and I'll, you'll hear me say this till, till rapture comes. That word unbelief literally means because of your negative faith. Faith is based on what you see in the circumstances. If you're having Bible faith, you see the Bible in your circumstances. You see what God said, and you don't care about anything else. That's It's faith in His Word that counts. Remember, Paul said to the church at Ephesus in Acts 20, 32, I commend you to God in His grace which is able to put you over, to give you an inheritance. It was the word of His grace. When you use Bible faith, it's got to be faith in His word. I, and I say that because I hear people say all the time, well, I got faith. I'm a person of faith. Well, what's your faith in? Is your faith in your faith? Or is your faith just in a general concept that God's good and God's going to put me over? Or do you have Scripture? Have you gone to the Word and you have a specific promise from God to you that says, this is what I've given you? Because if it's anything short of you going to the Bible and having a revelation of a particular word to you or God taking a, a, a word that's just specific to you, because let's face it, you know, the, the Bible covers all of the generalities covers healing, prosperity, all of these things. But there are some times when you need a word just for your circumstance. You need a particular word from God for you for that moment, and you're not going to find chapter and verse. 
I need a job, and I've got a choice between these three jobs, and they all look good, and God, I don't know which one, I don't know which one's your will. You need, a, you need to hear from God. You need to pray about it, and you need a specific word. You know, um, um, we used to joke when I was at Rama. I, I went there as, as an, I might say older man, I was in my 30s, not that old now, but um, I was married, had kids, but probably half of the people were kids. They were teenagers. They were right out of high school. And, man, you talk about, you know, it's, it was like any other Bible school. There were guys claiming girls and girls claiming guys, and, you know, love was in the air. Well, it doesn't so much, you know, and, and they had to, they, it was funny, especially for us old married folks, it was funny to, to you know, they had to address it. You know, you can't use your faith to claim a person. Well, I'm claiming that lady right there because I like the way she looks. Well, she may not like the way you look, you know. You're, you're, you're talking about somebody's free will. But what they, were, what they tried to impress was it's not so much what you claim. You need to get before God and say, God, I know there is a person out there. My desire is to be married. My desire is to have a mate. I need you to show me who my perfect mate is. And once you find that out, then you pursue it through prayer. When you're looking for a job, you're looking for a ministry position, you're looking for whatever, you need to pray and say, God, what's your perfect will in this situation for me? Now, it's easy on a lot of things. If you're sick, I can tell you every time it's God's will that you're well. If you're broke every time, it's God's will that you be prosperous. Those are just, they're givens. But some situations you have to get before God and as the old Pentecostals used to say, you got to pray through. you got to pray till you know that you know that you know that you know this is God's direction for you. And sometimes that only comes by praying and praying and praying and seeking the Word and just sometimes just reading the Word. For one thing, if you look at Hebrews 4, it says the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword able to divide asunder, divide between the thoughts and the intents of your heart. That means it's able to decide, to discern between your spirit and your soul, what's coming out of the inside of you from God and what's coming out of your head. Sometimes just reading the Word, not studying it, just reading it and praying over it and believing God for revelation for your life. That doesn't come real easy. But for the disciples here, their problem was their unbelief. It was the same problem that the, the ten of the twelve tribes had, or twelve spies had. They went into the land, they saw the giants, they became grasshoppers in their own sight, and they decided that their problem was bigger than their God, and so they got over into unbelief. And remember, sometimes when you, when you cast out a devil, he tears the person before he leaves. Sometimes when you start applying the word to your situation, it gets worse before it gets better. Sometimes the, the right before multiplication comes more problems than ever. Why? Because the enemy's trying to talk you out. They're trying to, he's trying to convince you that what you're saying is not having any effect. When it really is, it's, it's knocking him back. But you do, you have an enemy and you have to resist him, but you also have to know when I resist him, he will flee. He has no choice but to flee because you have, you know, our weapons are not carnal. It's not my natural intellect. It's not my winning personality. It's God's power that puts me over. Now, I want to finish up with this one. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 37. And Andy, if we could look at that in the New Living Translation. Um, this is, this is um, Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones. Now, just to give you a, a hint, in 2 Kings uh, 13, don't go there, but you know the story. 2 Kings 13, um, this was where... Um, Elisha had died, and they buried him. Another man had died. doesn't say who he was. But they were having the funeral procession, and they saw a raiding party from, from one of the, you know, mosquito bites that was still in the land. And they got afraid, so they dumped this dead body into Elisha's grave, and they were going to come back and get it. 
and they threw that body in there and it hit Elisha's bones and suddenly they're trying to run away and they're hearing shouts from the pit, guys, what am, don't leave me. Why am I down here with these bones? There was such an anointing in Elisha's bones even after he was dead when this dead man hit him, hit those bones, he came back to life. Well, think of that principle when, when, as we read this. This is, and, and this specifically, I'm going to give you the general context of this. This vision is God telling Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these bones, and these bones represent the people of Israel because God, in, in Ezekiel's time, God had scattered the nation. They were going to get scattered even more after the Roman occupation in 70 A.D., but he's saying there's a time coming after I scatter them that I'm bringing them all back. We've seen that. Israel became a nation in a day, 1948, I believe. In a day, one day there was no Israel, the next day there was an Israel. They were back in the land, and Jews are coming from all over the world to come back to that nation. That's a fulfillment of what Ezekiel spoke thousands of years ago. Sometimes you, God calls you to speak over things that you may not see an immediate result. Now, hopefully it's not going to take thousands of years when you're speaking to your circumstances. But it may not come immediately. Verse 1, Ezekiel 37, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Dry bones have no life. Remember, the life of an animal is in the blood, and the source of the blood is the marrow in the bone. So when a bone dries out, there is no life in that bone. Verse 3, Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? And Ezekiel answered him, O sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, and this is where we come in, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. When you take God's word and you speak to the dry bones in your life, and let's face it, if you're more than... 12 years old, you've got some dry bones in your life. You've got some things that God said to you, some dreams that you had. Gina and I, last night, we were, were sitting there watching. The PBS has had this series of musical programs where they just, they've gone back and reviewed old music, and we watched one about, last night, about Karen and Richard Carpenter. Karen and Richard Carpenter were, were real popular when I was just getting out of high school and going through college. And a lot of their early songs were, were ballads that pointed to where you were going in life. And I'm telling you, as I was sitting there, I, I, I started getting melodramatic. I started thinking, my God, I had such dreams when I was 16, 17, 18, 20. I was going to change the world. And here I am at 64, and, you know, my my, some of my dreams have changed because they're lining up more with God's Word. But I'm still, I'm thinking... What have I accomplished? What have I done? I got things that God's promised me. He said, you're going to see this, see this in your ministry. You're going to see this in your life. Now, there's a lot of things he's promised me that I have seen. But there's a lot that he's promised me that I haven't seen. And when I was reading this, and I've been dealing with this one, this passage for a couple of weeks... God has just kept on impressing me more and more. You need to start speaking a prophetic message to your dry bones. Saying, but notice, listen to the word of the Lord. It's not what I say about them that counts. It's what does God say about them that counts. Now, if you know God has spoken to you and said, this is a, this is a calling for you. And it doesn't matter whether it's, it's something small or something great. But if he said, this is a call to you and you have never seen it, you need to go back and review that and start praying about that and start speaking to that situation and saying, I don't care how screwed up this thing got. You called me to do this. 
You called this thing into my life. I didn't ask for it, but you said I'm going to have it, and I'm going to have it because you said it, and I'm enforcing your word on this. You need to speak prophetically to every situation. What do I say? Verse 5, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not me. It's God who stands sovereign over the universe. Jesus described himself in several places in the book of Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I started this thing. I'm going to finish this thing, and I'm in control all through the middle. And we need to get in agreement and start speaking prophetically to what he says about us. And he said, the, the end of verse 5, Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. The bones are dead. They're dried out. And God says, I'll pull them together. I'll put sinew on them. I'll put flesh. I'll put skin. I'll stand them up and I'll breathe life into them but only if you say it. You are my mouthpiece. Remember, Jesus is not in the world. He's sitting on the throne. We are his body. We are his mouth. We are his spokesman. And we need to wake up and realize we've got the God of the universe saying, speak my word. Declare what you want, what I've said you can have. And if you'll start agreeing with me, you will see it. Because I'll make it happen. But Lord, do you know how hard this circumstance is? Harder than dumbing a dead man into on some bones? He came back to life. Verse 6, I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Drop down to verse 9. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Remember what I, we talked about last week when we were looking at Joshua 1. When God repeats something, it's not because he's forgetful and he, thought, he forgot he said that a minute ago. He's repeating it for emphasis. He told Joshua several times when they were going in to take the land, Joshua, you're going to have to be strong and have good courage. And you're going to have to keep the word close to you. Because there are giants in that land, but I'm bigger than they are. But don't be afraid. What are you, why, why would he tell him he's not, gonna, not to be afraid? Because when Joshua gets in the middle of the battle, fear's going to come. And you're going to have to pull your brain back and say, no, I can't give in to the fear. You talk to anybody that's ever, ever known anybody or seen combat, they will tell you, Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing at the right time despite the fear. Anybody that goes into physical combat that's not afraid is pathological. You don't want to be around those people. They'll get you killed. Being afraid but knowing God's called me to do this and it's the right thing to do and I'm going to do it anyway, that's courage. And we need courage when, when we get to these circumstances. Look at verse 10. So I spoke the message as he commanded me. Then the end of verse 11. Well, just look at all of verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, these dead and dry bones, the bones that had no life were people. And why were they dead and dry bones? Because they were saying, we have become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. How do we become dry bones? When we start saying, I'm just worthless. I'm, I'm over the hill. God's anointing is lifted off of me. God can't use me anymore. I'm not, I'm not um, worthy of his anointing. I'm not worthy. Of, I, I've fouled up so much that God can't use me anymore. And... I have no hope. People that have no hope 
need somebody to come to them with a word from God. Now, if you don't have somebody that has a word from God, then sometimes you need to be like David. He encouraged himself in the Lord. When he was in Ziklag and they went off to fight a little battle and they came back and while they were gone, somebody came in, the, the, the enemy came in and stole everything. Women, kids, goods, they left a burnt camp. And David's men wanted to kill him. It's always fun when you're a leader and all your followers say, yeah, hang him. Put him on a stake, crucify him. Sometimes you need to, you know, to, to um, encourage yourself in those circumstances. Hebrews 5.12, this is, <clears throat> this is where some of us are. Hebrews 5.12 and 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. There are times when by this time we should have been teachers, but we have digressed to where we're babies just wanting somebody to stick the bottle in our mouth, spoon feed us, and when I get hungry, I'm going to scream till somebody either replenishes my bottle supply or changes my diaper. Well, if we, if we should have been um, um, teachers by now, then let's stand up and start declaring what the Word says. And then, you don't have to go back there, but Ezekiel 37, verse, uh, this is another message in verse 18. It said, when the people ask you what your actions mean, he's whittling different sticks, say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. That's what our answer should be to our circumstances all the time. This is what God said. God is sovereign over my life. God is sovereign over, over all of my circumstances, and I declare that this is what I'm going to have. Not because I'm anything special, because I'm not. Except for the fact that God made me special. He chose me. He anointed me. And He has raised me up to, see, to sit me in the heavenly places with Him. And that's not just me. It's not because, you know, it does, it's not a special anointing that comes with being a pastor or a teacher or a prophet or an apostle or whatever. There are special anointings to do the fivefold ministry. But everybody has an anointing just to be a Christian. If you are in Christ, you are seated with him in heavenly places. His word has been given to you. He has empowered you. He has resurrected you. He has made you holy. He has put you over, and he's shown you a promised land and said, go in and possess your land. And most of the time, our response is, but there's giants in the land. I can't do it. And he says, just speak my word. I haven't called you to do something that I can't handle. But we need to speak that to ourselves. Now, let me give you one practical application, and, and, and we're done. God has... has when he started me down this path a couple of weeks ago with Ezekiel 37, he told me specifically, he said, I'm talking about, I, I'm, I'm going to address several things, but today I'm talking to you about this church. He said, there are dry bones everywhere. This church has been in existence since late 70s, is that right? Sometime. Been all kinds of things spoken over this church been all kinds of prophecies of what this church is going to do. There have been a lot of prophecies that Ichabod has written across the door out there that we're done. And God spoke to me directly. He said, I'm not finished with Faith Community Church. But you need to get up. You need to quit talking about your problems. You need to quit saying, well, you know, such and such is not doing what they're supposed to do. Such and such is, you know, the anointing's just not here in this way and this way and this way and this way. We need to have this program. We need to have this. No, what you need to do is get up and say, bones, come together. 
God has said he's not done with this. And then you need to turn to God and say, okay, God, I'm one of those dry bones. What do you want out of me? I don't think this program, we're going to have this program and it's not there. You calling me to that? Now, just because you think God's calling to it a program, don't rush to pastor and say, you need to install me in this program. Because sometimes, as pastor, he needs to pray about it, evaluate it, look at other, other things. But we need to stand up and start speaking. When you envision this church, you need to declare that this sanctuary is full. And it's not full of Christians that are just coming out of other churches. It's full of new converts. It's full of people that you meet at Walmart and, and Kroger's and, and, you know, Kohl's or wherever you shop. You meet someone and they're coughing and God says, I want you to just go over there and ask them if you can pray for them. And then if they say yes, then just take them by the hand and say, I just speak health and blessing to you in the name of Jesus. That's all the prayer you need of healing if you want to pray for something. You don't have to pray in tongues. You don't have to get loud. Just God is healing you in the name of Jesus. And let it go and bless them and go on. And as you do things like that, I guarantee you, it's scary. Those are giants. Well, I couldn't do that. Sure you could. It's just talking. You can take someone by the hand. You can pray for someone. You can speak an encouraging word to someone. You can invite somebody to church. But if you're not excited about being here, you're probably not going to ask people to come to some place you're not excited about. And sometimes you, and the biggest problem we have, this is my personal opinion, but I'm going to stand by it, is we are talking down about what we have and about what's going on rather than being enthusiastic and looking at where God's taking us, we're looking at where we've been, and while it used to be such and such, and it used to be this, well, guess what? It's not used to be. We've got today, and we've got the future, and we need to speak to the bones. And then you need to do that in your own personal life. All of us have situations with family members, with kids, with parents, with in-laws and outlaws. You have situations that they blew up. Maybe it's your fault, maybe it's not your fault. But you need to get, if God speaks to you, you need to start speaking to those situations and get them healed. And if you need to go apologize and repent, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Who cares? See, it, it, it's, it's not figuring out who's right, who's wrong, where the blame goes. It's are you going to take an attitude and get a, a relationship healed? We were talking about this yesterday at men's prayer. And one of the, the big things that God has spoken over this church in the past and told us that we need to risk, resist is the spirit of offense. But you know what? This is not unique to this church. I don't know anybody that's had a church that's more than two months old that hadn't had a split. And most churches, if you're 10, 20, 30 years old, you've had a dozen splits. It's part of being in the body of Christ. People get offended. Get over it. If you're offended at somebody, get it right. The relationship between siblings, whether they are natural brothers and sisters or sisters and brothers in Christ, the relationship and having unity and peace in the body is more important than you being right or wrong. And if you are willing to sacrifice unity for your feelings or your emotions, then I can tell you, God is not well pleased with that. Why? Because it's when we're united that we can step forward as one body and go in a direction and God will bless it. When there's infighting in the house, it doesn't work. That's why sometimes church splits are necessary. Because if you can't get behind the vision, go find a place where you can get behind the vision. And I'm not inviting anybody to leave, all right? But I am flat telling you, if you can't get behind the vision of this church, you're not called to this church. Find a church that you can get behind the vision. 
and then plant yourself there, be faithful there, and do your best to, to bless them. But if you're here, get behind the vision, speak blessings over your pastor, speak blessings. Get up every Sunday morning and say, God, thank you today that when Brother Dean gets up and leads praise and worship, you are going to show up and your manifest presence is going to be there to change lives. When pastor gets up and preaches, I thank you that his words are going to have an impact today. They're going to change people's lives because he's going to preach your word with your anointing. And then things will change. I guarantee you, when God shows up, people show up because their needs get met. People will get born again. Their bodies will get healed. Relationships will get restored. Marriages will get restored. And when you can change people's lives for the better, they just flock to it. They flock to it. But I can't be concerned with anybody else's attitude until I get mine straight first. Father, I thank you today that you have chosen us. You have called us, Father. You've given us um, your exceedingly great and precious promises that through those promises, you've told us that we can be partakers of your divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world. Father, I'm believing that today... We are stepping out of the corruption of this world system. And we are making adjustments in our lives. We are going to commit ourselves to get into your word, find a word for our situation at our time. And we are going to start to speak your word into our lives. We're going to start to speak your word into our church. We're going to start to speak your word into our nation. We're going to start to speak your word into our world. And we are going to see you show up and help us to conquer the giants in our land. In the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com. 